every once in a blue moon, I feel his presence in a dream. Very rare. So when I have them, I'm just like cherishing that time. And I can't always remember them. I do feel like he's always interceding and kind of protecting me, like still in a way protecting me in certain ways. But I always feel like God knew I needed him at that moment in time, whatever might be going on in my life. I feel like he sends him into that dream or, you know, and is like, okay, you know, he might say what he has to say or not say anything at all. But I feel like God knows when I need that. Welcome to Black At It, the next adventures of Gail and Tia. I'm Tia Price. And I'm Gail Brown. Hi, Tia. I'm good. How are you? Good. Now, I wanted to check in on you, Gail, because I know something happened to your knee. I mean, I've been really concerned. (laughs) Yeah, somehow, some way I tore my meniscus. So I've been hobbling around. I've been telling people that I was saving cute puppies and cute kittens from a fire and then had to jump out the window to save a baby because I really don't know how it happened, but it happened. So (laughs) I am hobbling around, but you know me, Tia, I have not let it slow me down too much. I know because we're on our way to New Orleans coming up this weekend. So really excited about that. And I'm excited about the month of June Mm -hmm. because there's so many things happening this month. And I was thinking coming up is Father's Day. And, you know, what were some of the things that you remember about your father? I remember a lot about my father. My father was a jokester, but he didn't allow us to be silly. Like we always had to be, you know, straight, serious, but he could joke and play and mess around all he wanted, but he didn't want his kids looking like a bunch of silly little kids. He was, I call him a civil rights activist. My father was in law enforcement and he was often the first black to be appointed to this or to hold this position and that position. So he was all about you belong wherever you want to be. And he was going to fight for that inclusivity. You know, he didn't share many terrible stories with us, Mm -hmm. but I just remember him saying, you know, you belong here and manners will take you farther than money. Never understood that until I was about 35 years old. (laughs) Because I thought money would take you everywhere, but I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we both lost our fathers. A number of our friends have lost their fathers and sometimes Mm -hmm. Father's Day can be sad. But, you know, when I think of my father, I think my father was a little different than yours in the Mm -hmm. sense that we had moved to an all white area. And I think he had certain expectations of treatment that didn't quite pan out. And I remember We had people egg us. We had somebody shoot guns in our house because we were the only white, I mean, the only black people in the neighborhood. But the one thing I think I learned from my father was it didn't matter what people did. You would, if you deserve something, you just stick it out. You're resilient and you just keep going. And I remember we had a bullet in our window and he refused to fix it. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a symbol. No matter what, we're staying here. I don't care if you shoot through the house. I don't care if whatever you do, 
we're staying here and we're going to move forward. So it's interesting when you think back to some of those conversations, which you remember, and I'm excited about our guest today. Yeah, so am I. We have three authors of a book about daddy-daughter relationships. We have Denise Grant, who is the visionary behind this book, along with co-authors Quan Robinson-Thomas and Kimberly Varner. And together, they authored the book, Daddy-Daughter Love Stories, Celebrating African-American Fathers. So welcome, Denise, Kimberly, and Quan. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having us. Sure. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. For sure. So tell us about this book, Daddy-Daughter Love Stories. Denise? Well, it came to me after my father passed away about four years ago. I was raised by my dad. And so he and I were extremely close, very close. And so I went through a very challenging time after he passed away. And it came to me just a little after he passed that there was something that I wanted to do to pay tribute to him. And I thought that writing a book was the best way to do that. And then it occurred to me that, you know, why would you want to keep this to yourself? How about, you know, invite others to share and telling about their fathers and combat or counteract a lot of the negative images, a lot of the negative representation that we see about Black men in today's society. And it's ripe for that. We should let others know or underscore what men of valor Black men are, especially as it relates to sewing into the lives of their daughters and their children. You know, I really love that because... You are absolutely right. A lot of times we don't see those images of the positive Black father and the influences they have on the family and especially their daughters. So talk to us a little bit about the concept of the book and what were some of those influences? The concept of the book is for um, each of the co-authors, there are seven of us, to share their experiences of their father, some of the lessons they learned, some of the expectations that the fathers had, some of their memories of their fathers. And ultimately, as a Christian and as an ordained minister, what I wanted the book to do also is highlight some of the characteristics of God that are exemplified by Black fathers. And ultimately, what we want to do is understand that Fatherhood is not just a person. It's a relationship, and it gets us to be closer to our Father God. And so ultimately, in the end, what we're looking to do is to point others. And it doesn't have to be that all of these stories, they're all positive, but it doesn't have to be that you had the best relationship with your father, because ultimately what we're looking to understand and shed light on is that these are characteristics of God Mm. and that you can reimagine or be held in the arms of God and understand that the ultimate father will take care of all of us. And so we have these chosen vessels on earth who we were blessed to have, but ultimately we're connected to the father God, who is the protection and the unconditional love and the peace and the void filler and the heart mender that we all ultimately need. 
Wow. That for some reason wasn't expecting you to go there, (laughs) but that makes complete sense. Wow. So Quan, tell us what you contributed to this book and, you know, how your relationship with your dad is reflected in your life, your lifestyle, your relationship with God. Yeah. So Denise actually hit the nail right on the head in making that correlation between our personal relationships with our fathers, our earthly fathers, and then the higher relationship with our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, that's kind of where I connected most on this project because, uh, you know, I like everyone else in this project. I'm a full-fledged daddy's girl, like my whole entire life. I mean, literally I'm partially named after my dad. My dad named me at birth. My middle name is Charlize. My dad's name is Charles. Like I'm a full-on daddy's girl, right? So, you know, kind of what made me gravitate to this project really was just the fact of like, you know, after losing my father in 2011, you know, that was a really, really difficult time for me just because of the nature of the relationship that we have. And I literally could not process and understand how am I supposed to live my life without my father? It was really, really difficult time. So when I saw this project come about through Denise, I gravitated to it because I honestly thought like this would be a great space for me to try to find some healing in all of this pain because I was still carrying a lot of that pain. And as I started working through this project, I got a lot of the healing that I need. And that was because as I was healing the hurt and the disappointment of losing my heavenly, my earthly father, my relationship with my heavenly father developed even more and became more beautiful. And on all the things that I was missing and yearning in that huge, enormous presence that was missing in my life was now being fortified in a different way. And, and actually in a full circle way, reconnected me with my father, just in a new vantage point and a new perspective. So You know, I will always be grateful to Denise for, you know, bringing me into this project because without it, there's a lot of healing that I would not have have received in my own personal life. And so I would have been missing that healing. And then I also would not have, you know, really, really fortified my relationship with God. I mean, I've been a Christian my entire life, but we're on another level now. So me and God, we, you know, that's my guy. (laughs) That's a wonderful testimony. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Kim, one of the things that Denise mentioned was expectations. What expectations did your father set for you or influence you to set for yourself? My dad, his name was also Charles. So I literally just found out Quan's dad's name was Charles today because we haven't read one another's stories. That's the other at this point in the dialogue. But my dad's expectation was literally to do my best. You know, he would say, Kim, did you try? Did you go out there? Did you do your best in your class? You know, did you do your best when you were, you know, trying to cook something? Did you do your best when you were, you know, interacting with someone maybe at work or at school and it was a challenge? And if I said yes, he was good. He was like, that's what you need. Like, do your best. Now, if I said, "Eh," he was like, now, so what's that about? You know, so I think that that was always good for me because I did do my best. 
I had a, a little perfectionism piece added to that that has been a bit of a, a challenge, but I'm working through it still at, you know, in my 50s. But just really, I'm so thankful that he did not feel like I had to always be like perfect, just to your best. Okay, well, guess what my father's name was? <laughs> Charles. Charles. Yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> My father's name was Alice. (laughs) (laughs) So he's an oddball in this conversation. But that is what a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Since it's three of us, did that automatically make us Charlie's angels in some kind of way? I love that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Absolutely. I love love it. I love it. Charlie's Angels. Okay. I like I do like that. And I'll take that. So I also remember my father always telling us, you know, do your best. He, in so many words, he would tell us, you have to do better than yeah. your white friends and counterparts. We grew up like Tia in a white neighborhood. I remember we moved to Plainfield, New Jersey. Uh, when I was going into first grade and when we bought the house, two of my earliest memories was hearing my parents talk about how someone broke into the house before we moved in, but they found out a black family was moving in and they broke into the house and pulled down all the chandeliers and squirted the walls with dish detergent and everything. And then after we moved in, someone egged our house. I remember getting up to go to school and all these eggshells and eggs were all over the door. And I didn't understand racism then. Right. I just thought it was like a prank. But, you know, my father, like I said, he always said that, you know, we belong and we went to white schools all of our life, white neighborhoods, did activities with white people because he didn't want us to feel like we couldn't. But I always felt that extra pressure, as I think we all have, that you got to do better. You got to do well. You got to do your best. So maybe that was that Charlie thing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's everyone. We definitely grew up with that concept of do more than what's expected, Mm -hmm. do twice as more, um, carry yourself a certain way, have pride in what you do and how you approach others. I think all of that came from our fathers who were growing up during that time. But let me ask you, Denise, as you thought about this book and maybe even a personal story about how or what is the importance of that relationship between the Black father and the daughter? How important is that? Mm -hmm. I think it's extremely important because a lot of times the relationship between father and daughter is the basis upon which a lot of other relationships are formed. We as African-American women, a lot of times our interactions with men, our interactions with women are predicated upon the relationship that we had with our fathers. And so we go about life with certain expectations, certain expectations of men, certain expectations of ourselves based on the relationship or the lack thereof from our fathers. And so I think it's extremely important to understand the strength of the Black man in a Black woman's, especially a daughter's life. And if he's not there, 
Certainly, we understand that there's an absence. But again, what I get back to is that with this book, what we are calling people to do ultimately is to come into an understanding that it goes beyond a person or a physical representation and that you have to get to a point of re-examination. You got to get to a point if you didn't have a good relationship with your father, you've got to get to a point releasing and reconciling and revisiting some of your interactions and understanding that there is one in whom a relationship that you ultimately lead is and can be found. And there's one where your striving can cease, you know, and so ultimately that's what we're pointing to with this book. I know that my dad, some of my fondest memories are of my dad, and we were so very close. And like Quan, when he passed away, I thought, wow, what am I going to do? And even this book for me brought about a grieving that I was not able to experience when he died, because when he passed, I had to plan a service. I officiated his service. I performed his eulogy. And then I came back to California. And four days later, I was back at work. And I've not taken any time off since then. And so I was his caregiver also, just prior to him passing away. And so there was a lot. And so this book dredged up for me some grieving that I had not done. Me and my father, we would go out and just drive for miles, hours away to get ice cream. And we would come back, you know, and then just drive back home or we'd go to dinner and then drive two or three hours back home. I remember we would open the drapes when it rained outside and we would watch the rain and the lightning and listen to the thunder come and go. And so I would just kind of tuck and nestle up under his arm. And those are some really great memories for me. But he was a disciplinarian, too. He um, whooped my behind a few times uh, <laughs> that I can remember <laughs> to get me in line because, you know, being a single father of a daughter, you know, you can't waver, you can't be wishy-washy and you don't want anything bad to happen. So, mm-hmm. Quan, tell us a special memory you have of your dad. Oh my goodness. I have so many. And, you know, for anyone who reads the book, for sure, you'll read a very, very special memory that I specifically wrote about for this book. But to kind of underscore what Denise was just saying, in going through this writing process and understanding, you know, the healing that comes from writing about my father, I also learned that there are times when I'm more protective about my memories with with my father only because, and I think it's in my mind, but because he's no longer here with me, I feel like I have a finite amount of memories. Like I'm not going to get any new memories. So the ones that I have, I feel way more protective about. So, you know, just the fact that I was able to write about, you know, my father and share a very personal memory in that writing, I think really speaks to, you know, the amount of healing that this book has brought and being a part of this process has brought. But specifically for you guys, um, since we're talking about it right now, something very unique about, you know, me and my dad is my dad is the father of four girls. So in my household, he was the only man. We have no brothers. It's my dad, my mom, and then four sisters. So, you know, there are many, many stories about how, you know, we would (laughs) find like a bug or something in the house and, 
instantly just go running to him and like, daddy, kill it, kill it. And his response was always like, it's just a bug. Go kill it, go get it or whatever. But it's like, we can't even begin to like, understand of like how to go and like kill the bug because it's a bug and it's in the house so like we have you know tons of memories like that or things too that I love doing with my sisters now is that you know sometimes we'll get together and we'll you know recall a certain memory and we'll share it and then someone's like really did daddy really do that because he would never do that with me so I like finding like those little jewels of like the individual stories of who our father was to us as a whole in the group and then who he was to us individually. So, you know, specifically, I remember us like going to basketball games and that's a very dear memory for me because I later grew up and then I worked within the NBA. Like I was a producer for the NBA. And so it's beautiful to have all those memories of me being at basketball games with him and me getting my love of basketball from him. I'm wearing a basketball shirt right now. So me getting my love of the NBA from him and then that later on in my life transitioned into my career. And so it's one of those bittersweet things, too, because by the time I started working within the NBA, you know, he had passed. So I didn't get to share that part of my career with him. So the times when I would have been able to now take him to basketball games, you know, I didn't have those opportunities, but just to be able to be in that space and thrive in that space and know that that's a space that I specifically gained, you know, because of him and his influence on me and my life. You know, I, I'll always hold that near and near. That is fantastic. And you know what? In listening to everyone on the call, I'm starting to recall memories. Like more memories are coming back, which I'm sure in reading this book, that will bring back memories for others. But I'm thinking about my father would take me to Oriole games and he didn't talk much, but he would take me to Oriole games. And one of my dreams was to get on the dugout with the Oriole bird, which I did just last year. And I think about that because that influence is still there. That presence is still there. So Kim, tell us, are there times where you are maybe in a place or in a situation where you feel the presence of your father still there? Give us some insight into that. So I'll mention two places. The first place is I'm a July baby, but I am also, I love to deep sea fish. My father Now, from the Bronx, so we would go to City Island and we would go fishing from City Island, deep sea fishing. My dad took me out of school against my mother's wishes because, you know, perfect attendance was important to her. But for him, it was learning life in other ways. Right. And so whenever I'm on the water, on a boat, I always feel the presence of my dad. I love it. I still love to go deep sea fishing. I might go once a year or so, but that's where I feel his presence the most. The second place is my dad was a New York City firefighter and he taught me how to protect myself out and, you know, going to the club or whatever. And so whenever I'm in a venue, I'm always looking for the exit. Let me say that I'm looking for the second exit so that if I have to jet in a moment, I know where, how to get out. He was a fierce protector. And I talk about that in the book of how he was a protector 
um, and how he was our family's banner, just like God is our banner. And so that's how I connected um, my dad to God. And it really came through when I found the perfect scripture for him and um, for my relationship with him. But yep, wonderful memories. Yeah. Kim, the connections keep coming through. My dad was a big deep sea fisher too. Like every year he would take him and like all his friends at church on this big deep sea fishing trip. Like they would go out to like Pensacola, Florida. And like, it was the whole thing. And his birthday is in July as well. So the connections keep coming. I love it. Mm I just want to, you know, as we're having these revelations, I guess I'll say with the names and the deep fishing and and those kinds of things, it's awesome to me. Of course, I've read everyone's story. And so it's awesome to me how um, all things work together, because as I'm listening to Quan, as I'm listening to you, Tia and you, Gail and, and Kim, it's no accident that we're having this conversation. It's not a coincidence. And the ladies that have participated ultimately in this book, there were several. I mean, this process started maybe almost two years ago. And there were, we started out with 12 to 14 women and it came down to seven. But ultimately, I believe that, you know, those who were supposed to participate were present. But it's incredible to me how the stories that you'll read in the book are overlapping and interwoven and then we're finding these different things out and so it's like a quilt and a tapestry that's been knit together and you know when you read the book it's unbelievable to see the hand of God work and how things get orchestrated unbeknownst to us you know even before the hand of time so I'm just you know I'm overwhelmed certainly pleased to be here um, but certainly overwhelmed and excited about what this is going to do and how things are so very connected and we never would have known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a coincidence. So Denise, you said that your mother participated and has something in the book. What was her perspective of this? Well, her perspective in the book is the aspect of, of protection and guardianship and how, you know, ultimately we should all, you know, we've all been in those situations that sometimes we put ourselves in where our fathers were like, no, you know, and it's like, no, you're not going out with those people. And, you know, some guy comes, he wants to take you out. And it's like, no, we're going to meet him and he needs to come to the door. And we need to have a conversation, you know, those kinds of things. So, so from my mom's perspective, it's my dad, her dad, my grandfather, being a provider, being a protector, being a guardian, and how we should all be grateful for those times in our lives when we've had that person, you know, our father to protect us when we had those scenarios that, you know, unbeknownst to us or known to us that they protected us from and that they were in our lives for that reason. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned before, you know, writing your parts of the book was a way that you, you know, you were able to grieve as you wrote, but did it bring up anything that any memories that made you angry? You wish that uh, I remember my father and I did this and I wish I did that differently. You know, I disappointed him. Did it bring up those feelings again? And how did you work through that? For me, I didn't have any like 
any tension or any, like I said, I was a daddy's girl. I still am. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually concerned of the opposite. Like I was, when I was writing, I was like, there's no contention here. There's no like, daddy, why did you do this here? Like it's literally and genuinely a love story. And so I was actually concerned that it would read the opposite. Like I was concerned that, you know, Denise or, you know, anyone else who was reading the book would be like, oh, she's on some kind of juice because (laughs) her dad is like the greatest man that ever walked the earth. And so I feel like I wrote in there somewhat something to just kind of bring it down just to let people know that, yes, I know my father was still a man. He's a human, (laughs) not perfect. Mm -hmm. But what I did try to convey was that he was perfect for me. So we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have any tension. We didn't have any, you know, I genuinely don't have any memories of like, you know, of times when like he disappointed me. Of course, there were times when I got in trouble and there definitely Mm -hmm. times when I disappointed him, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I don't have any memories or anything like that of like, you know, there being any kind of like tension. So my concern was actually the opposite, that people would think that I was being, you know, that I wasn't being authentic because Mm -hmm. I have such a positive relationship with my father. That's wonderful. Kim? Yeah, you know, I didn't, I'm also very much a daddy's girl. It's been 11 years for me as well. And I think we knew that before Quand. And I think there's one other person in the book who lost her dad 11 years ago. But for me, it was the challenge of showing his frailty, right? He was always this hero to so many people as a fireman, as a dad, as a husband, as an uncle and friend. But when he got sick, I saw those frail moments and I went back and forth on how much I could or should share of the frailty that happens, you know, when someone does have cancer and when this Superman has cancer and the kind of switch I had to make into being a caregiver. So my dad could, in my eyes, could do no wrong. I'm sure he did you know, wrong, crazy things. As a kid, he was like in this group called the Mutineers and, you know, they made their own little guns, whatever. But but I mean, honestly, it was showing his frailty Mm. as a man and how hard it probably was for him, for me to see him like that. Mm. You know, one time he actually made me leave the room because he didn't want me to see him like that. My mom could say, but I couldn't. So, yeah, that for me was kind of a bit of a a challenge because I can see the hospital room. I can see all of that. I can see him in pain. And so that was really hard for me to kind of re-experience that again. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, again, it's bringing back something in a recent podcast I shared that I have visitations from my parents and I actually had another visitation. I don't know if I share with you, Gail. I think I'm going through a certain period because my children are now adults and the weight is off. And I think I'm more open to receiving and healing some things. And my father came to me recently again after my daughter graduated and he was sitting 
on a chair and I saw him and I knew he had passed on and I walked over to him. I gave him a kiss. He said, I really did not want to go. He's like, I really didn't want to go. And I said, I know you didn't want to go. And I said, I miss you. He said, I love you. And he faded. And I woke up and I just said, thank you. You know, that's what I needed from my father, because my father was not very communicative. He just didn't say much. (laughs) He really didn't. But it was what I needed. And hearing these stories, you know, something that comes up for me is that relationship isn't gone. When Mm -hmm. someone leaves and isn't present physically, it's not gone. That relationship still moves on. And I felt that in the dreams and the visitations. I'm still having a relationship with my father, still having conversations Mm -hmm. with my father. Have any of you had those similar experiences? Denise? Yeah, I have. And it's interesting. I haven't shared this. My mom and I experienced this together, like probably about a week after my dad passed away. And so my mom was in my life. The decision was made mutually for me to stay with my dad. My dad you know, he shared with my mom, hey, you can go. They were divorced, but you have to leave Denise here. And so, of course, you know, over some years, there comes some, you know, questions and you you wonder about things and their stories matched up, but there was still a conversation that needed to take place. So after he passed, the Saturday after he passed, I woke up from a nap And we were at his house. My mom had driven down from Maryland uh, to be with me. And there was sort of a heaviness in the place. It wasn't evil. It wasn't bitter, but it was heavy like a fog. And so I got up, I went and sat in the living room and I asked my mom, I said, do you feel that? And she said, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but it feels different in here. There was sort of a staticky presence. It was heavy, but it was peaceful, deeply, deeply peaceful. And so I said, yeah, it's dad. And so after I said that, she and I had a conversation that we needed to have. And after the conversation took place, I would say, ladies, probably about five minutes later, he, and I say he, because I believe it was my father, he lifted and the Mm -hmm. air was light again, you know, Everything was just as it was before I, you know, woke up from my nap and Mm -hmm. we went on and my mom and I, as a result, we've been a lot closer since there's been some healing in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful to have had that visitation, as you said, Tia, in that manner. And I did ask my father that year because I think that that I told him I wanted him to come see me for my birthday. Oh, because it was my first birthday without him. And we celebrated our birthdays. His birthday was November 10th. Mine is November 7th. And so we always celebrated our birthdays together. And so I said, Dad, please come see me for my birthday. And sure enough, on my birthday, I went and stood in front of, they gave us a little monument sign for his memorial service. And he came. And it was the same presence. It was heavy, but deeply peaceful. I sat, I stood, I cried thanked him for coming to see about me. He lifted. And like you, I said, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he's been to see me a couple of times. That's amazing. And it sounds like your father not only visited, but intervened. Yes. Which is even more amazing. Kim. Yeah. I was just going to say every once in a blue moon, 
I feel his presence in a dream. Very rare. So when I have them, I'm just like cherishing that time. And I can't always remember them. I do feel like he's always interceding and kind of protecting me, like still in a way protecting me in certain ways. But I always feel like God knew I needed him at that moment in time. Whatever might be going on in my life, I feel like he sends him into that dream or, you know, and is like, okay, you know, he might say what he has to say or not say anything at all. But I feel like God knows when I need that, you know, Mm -hmm. and not just to look at his picture. And his urn is in my mom's den still. So I talk to him there often. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got lots to say. But I think in my dreams, it's just like the perfect time Hmm. to hear from him. That's amazing. Quan, did you have something? Yeah, no, exactly everything that Denise kind of mentioned is kind of like the same space that I share with my father as well, because when you all read the book, I feel like I keep mentioning it because I don't want to give anything away because I don't, you know, (laughs) I don't want to give anything away. But I do write very specifically in in my section in a book about a, a very specific memory between my father and I and a rabbit. And very similar to what Denise said, and then also what Kim said as well, there was a moment in time when I was really, really struggling with the loss of my father. And literally a rabbit appeared. And that rabbit, in that moment, I knew that that rabbit was a representation of my father. And I know it sounds crazy, but when you read it, you'll understand. But I knew for sure that that rabbit was a representation of my father. And it brought me the peace that I needed in that moment. And it was kind of the little symbol to say like, hey, I'm still here. Like, I'm not as far as you think I am. Like, I'm still right here. And having that moment, I also have many moments just like in my day-to-day life that I just, I can feel my father's presence. Sometimes it's so overwhelming that it literally feels like he's like sitting on my shoulders. Like it's so overwhelming sometimes that I feel his presence. I feel his energy. And I know that he's, you know, with me and he's watching everything that I do. And sometimes I even say, I'm like, give me some space because (laughs) just like, you know, when he was here in the earthly form, you know, he would call me all the time and he'd be checking up on me and everything that I'm doing so much so that I had to tell him like, dad, you got to stop calling me. Like I'm actually in class, you know, that kind of thing. So the same way that he was sometimes overwhelming (laughs) when he was here in the physical presence, I sometimes still feel that sense now in a different presence. So you know, exactly what my sister authors said, like that presence, it never goes anywhere. That love that you have and that love and that bond that you create and that you share, it doesn't go anywhere. It just transforms into a different energy and a different space. And, you know, I'm learning to be okay with that presence as well. Wow. I don't think I've ever had a vision, but I don't even know if I can say I felt his presence, but I know still to this day, 32 years later, since uh, my father passed away, I often think if I'm trying to make a decision about something, I often think, okay, what would daddy tell me to do? You know, so yeah, like Tia said, you still have that relationship with your father, even though he's not here with you, but 
I don't know, jealous is the word. I'm kind of jealous that I've never had the same experience, like a vision or a message from him, but I still feel him, his influence, I guess. And I always think, what would daddy do? Or if something went wrong, I'd be like, oh, daddy is rolling over. <laughs> you know, he would not be happy with this. And I get sad because he passed away before I was married. So he never met my husband. He never met my kids. But, you know, I think I think they have a sense of him because my mother often talks about him and I talk about him. We have pictures of him and I'll always say, well, my dad did this. My dad did that, but never had a vision. So I think that's a blessing for all of you and something that I know you cherish. Well, Gail, there's still time. And oftentimes when we bring these things up, you better be ready because it can really take you by a storm and it can bring up so many emotions. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of shocked about it because it literally is if they just show up and you can see, I say they, because both of my parents have seen that they always come. And matter of fact, my husband's like, who's coming tonight? (laughs) I get a lot of, I have very, a lot of vivid dreams. I've just Mm -hmm. always have, but lately it's been intense, but it really is a a gift because Mm -hmm. you have so many memories that are brought back up. But, you know, Denise, I want to get back to you because as you know, there are a lot of children, particularly black children that are fatherless. They never had a father or maybe they do have a father and they're taken away for whatever reasons. There are oftentimes women, you know, due to technology and science, you can have children now and you don't necessarily need that physical presence of a father for that in the home. What's your recommendation in bringing in the higher father into the relationship? Because you don't have the physical father, but you talked about God being the father. What would be your recommendations for people in that situation where the actual physical father is not present for whatever reason? Yeah, I speak to that in the um, conclusion of the book. And, you know, regardless of whether the the father is there in the physical sense or not, I think that if a child, a woman, a young man can be exposed to positive role models and positive people in their lives, a masculine presence that's going to provide them what they may have missed in terms of having that father figure physically there. I think that that goes a long way toward filling that void. And if it's a positive person, if it's someone who also exhibits the characteristics of God, who's caring, who's protective, who is nurturing in the male way, who is able to mentor them through certain situations, answer questions that they have, they still have that presence there. They just don't have that father father physically there. And so I think that for any woman or any um, mom who has made the decision, her choice to have a child without a father, like you said, technology and that sort of thing, for the understanding to know that it takes a village and that it takes a group of positive influences and sharing of expectations and getting through situations to get their children through uh, this thing called life. I think that's it, you know, to have those characteristics exuded or exemplified by the village 
can always compensate for not having that physical person there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. Thinking on that as well, let's say your fathers were not in your life. What do you think you would have not learned or how do you think you might've been even slightly different? Quan? I can't even begin to formulate who I would be, what I would look like, what I would do. Like my father is literally so ingrained in everything that I am and who I am. Without him, I'm just not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Down to the DNA, everyone, you know, in my family says I'm the spitting image of my dad. Like without my father, there is no me. You know, I mentioned earlier that in my household, it was all girls. My father raised us, even though we were all girls in the house, he raised us as like humans. So like there were no like, oh, girls do this and boys do that. Like, no, he's like, this is who I want. This is the kind of human that I want you to be. You have to be, you know, kind and good and honest. Like those kind of things, like he and my mom instilled in us. So it was very much so just a dual, you know, kind of approach of like making us, you know, who we are. So like, and I spoke earlier too about my career and how my career was, you know, derived from, you know, my father, like there's not one aspect of my life where I don't see my father's either DNA influence, words, wisdom, anything completely ingrained within me. So there is no me without my father and there's no me without my mom either, but there's no, I can't untwine that rope is bound, is corded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kim? Yeah, I was actually going to say the same thing. I have no idea of who I would be, what type of person I would be. You know, would I have ended up going to college? Would I, you know, anything? I have zero concept. I will say it's funny. When I was younger, my dad would always joke about this woman he used to date. And he'd say, she was almost your mother. And I was like, look at here. There's no way anybody else could be my mama, my mama. And so it's the same thing with my dad. Like I can't, there's so many things about me that I, that are a reflection of who he was as a person trying to, you know, have integrity, trying to have a little spunk. You know, I do think I have a little scary part in me where I'm just like, no, I don't want to do that. But And he'd be like, you better buck up, girl, like get it together. (laughs) But um, I can't fathom it. Uh I will say the one thing that I can point to in my life that doesn't have any quote unquote bearing on my mother or my father is the fact that I went to Howard University. If I had left it to my parents... I would have gone to Georgia Southern because that's where my two older sisters went. And then that's where my younger sister went. Everyone in my family went to Georgia Southern. I'm the only outlier who like went somewhere else. And both of my parents were adamant against me going to Howard. They were like, I'm not paying for that. I'm like, they did not support that decision at all. So if there's one little thread that has no connection, like quote unquote connection to, Mm -hmm. to me, and my father and my mother, that would be me going to Howard. But even in that, I would still say me having the unction and being able to achieve that against their wishes mm-hmm. comes directly from them. So like they still created this monster. So Denise, <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts on this as well? Just say, you know, 
circling back again, I have to bring it to the Father God because we are all indelibly stamped with the DNA of God. And when we receive that and understand who we are and whose we are, there is no way that we could be where we are and do what we do without having the imprimatur of God on our lives. And so that, you know, brings it full circle in terms of what the book is about. You know, we've got these treasures and earthen vessels that we were blessed with. And ultimately, these men of valor have the characteristics of God that needed to be most present in our lives. And we would not be who we are and where we are without them. Yeah, it's very, very true. So here we are, it's, you know, Father's Day, and I always get a little sad around Father's Day. My father passed away the day before Father's Day in 1990. So it's always been Father's Day, but I have a husband and, you know, end up doing something for him, but it just leaves a little, you know, a little sadness. Do you do anything to like celebrate his life on Father's Day? Do you remember him in a special way? Do you pay tribute to your fathers in a special way on Father's Day? I was going to say for, I would say the first seven or eight years after he passed, I did nothing. Like I didn't want to talk to anyone. I had nothing to say. I wouldn't send cards to anyone. And now I will at least call my uncle. I have one uncle left on both on either side of the family. So I will definitely call my uncle and I I now call my friends who are dads and celebrate them. In terms of something specific for my dad, I just thank him for, you know, the life he gave me, you know, with my mom and God, but I also I think this year will be different because I've had an opportunity to think about him in new and different ways and I feel like I really can celebrate him as a earthly father again. You know, I used to back in the day do stuff for him, but now I just feel like I could be happy about the day. Yeah, exactly what what Ken said, the exact same thing. The first few years, just I couldn't do anything on Father's Day. It, It just was too painful. But eventually, especially in recent years, as like my friends started becoming fathers and things of that nature, like I started to find joy in celebrating other fathers. So I do spend my Father's Day focusing on that more so than, you know, me not having my father in the physical form. But exactly like Kim said, I think this year, (laughs) literally this year, (laughs) I'm in a different space with everything and A lot of that I give to having gone through this process of being a part of this book um, because it has healed me in a different way. And so now I feel like I'm in a better space where I can celebrate or find a way to celebrate and honor my father on Father's Day. So I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I don't know if I'm going to do anything yet, but at least I feel like I'm capable of doing something. And that's a lot of progress for sure. Yeah. I'm still in that space where Kim and Juan were early on because this is um, year four for me. But the flip side of that is I have a bonus dad. You know, I was blessed with, um, I've been blessed with a, well, I don't want to call him my stepfather. He and my mom have been married almost 20 years now. Can you believe that? So I celebrate him 
And Mm -hmm. uh, he and my dad had an opportunity to talk and have conversations. And so I celebrate my bonus dad. I'm still not really at at the point of being able to really kind of delve into any memories and doing anything per se on Father's Day as it relates to my dad. I just sort of relish everybody else celebrating, you know, Mm. like, yeah, that's good stuff. You know, that's a good deal there that I can observe other people celebrate and um, I honor my bonus dad. So Quan, did you have a final thought? (laughs) I was just going to ask Denise based off of what she just said um, with having the bonus father, did the process of losing your father, did that alter your relationship with your bonus father in any kind of way? And I ask that because I too had other men in my life who were very close, like bonus fathers, you know, my uncle who, you know, I feel like was my, literally my second dad. And I had another person who was like a second dad to me. So I just wonder if losing your father changed that relationship. And then in that space of that new relationship or the second bonus father relationship, did you find new meaning to fatherhood within that space? Because now you were leaning more on that father than your biological father, if that makes sense. Wow, great questions. I can't say that it's changed or that it's any different than it has always been with my bonus dad, because he's always been a a terrific guy. And he's always been there. You know, so it wasn't altered. I do appreciate him a lot more. And what I noticed when my dad passed away, he's very wise, very intelligent man. And he gave my mom and I the space that was needed for that intervention to take place, as was mentioned earlier. And so I appreciate him for that. And so I appreciate him more because in his wisdom, he knew what needed to be done at a time when I needed to get closer to my mom. The relationship though is he was always good to me. He was always a great guy, always funny, always got jokes and you know, that sort of thing. So I just, you know, I appreciate him and being who he is and in the wisdom that he's brought to my life. So, yeah. Well, fantastic ladies. We're going to have to wrap up, but I have to say, I am looking forward to reading your love stories. I think this is an incredible opportunity to share those positive images of the black father. I'm so glad you were inspired Denise to even think about creating this type of book. And one of the things Gail and I always talk about is the images that we have that are seen in the media and on TV and other areas are people we don't know. We don't understand those images. These are the images that we would like to see more of and hear more about these stories we would love to share. So we're looking forward to your book coming out. Again, it's going to be Daddy Daughter Love Stories Celebrating African American Fathers. We're looking forward For that to come out, we always say we highlight ordinary women doing extraordinary things. But I have to say you all are extraordinary women doing extraordinary things, representing your extraordinary fathers. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's just all around fantastic. Gail, did you have any other thoughts? Yeah, I really appreciated this conversation. It was inspiring, enlightening. It, you know, brought back a lot of memories of my dad and you know, it 
maybe I'll go into this Father's Day with a little bit lighter mood, you know, and focus on the really good and funny memories. So I appreciate you all for sharing your love stories with us or telling, you. you know, hinting about your love stories. I can't wait to read the book, <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you being here on Black At It, The Next Adventure of Gail and Tia. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having us. And thank, thank you, Denise, for sharing your vision with us and yeah. allowing us to be a project. So thank you. And thank you, listeners. Once again, remember, you can always join our Vibe Tribe. You can follow us on Spotify, Audible, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and really anywhere you get your podcast information. Look out for Gail and I at our next adventure. You can never know where we're going to pop up. So we look forward to talking to you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.